Father, in the name of your Son, thank you for uh, my brother and sisters on my left and on my right, in front of me, behind me, Lord. Thank you for them, and we ask you for your blessing upon them. Lord, we heard so many wonderful testimonies and praise reports this week of your work being done, your spirit moving among God's people to change and to mold and to heal and to uh, rejuvenate, Lord God, the, the body that's been affected by uh, any kind of sickness. Lord, we thank you for those blessings, but we also, Lord, thank you for the work you're doing among us in the inner man, the truth, Lord, being brought in us and being molded into the image of Jesus. Lord, continue that work. May it be through trials and difficulties and maybe through some fiery trials may come, Lord, but that purifies us and that strengthens us to be like him. So we ask you this morning that you would bless the offerings, you would bless the, the giving of your people, Lord, into uh, what we give, Lord, today that would be honored in, in, uh, as an offering to you, Lord, as a worship offering to you, Lord, so you would use it to minister and to save and to uh, reach, Lord, to the lost, to the, those who are needy, to the missionaries who are, uh, are faithful, Lord, to the persecuted believers who are in Central Africa, especially this week, Lord God, uh, many attacks against them. And uh, Lord, Africa's turning into uh, just a complete, uh, Lord, a reign of persecution from north all the way to the south, especially in the middle. Father, be with those who are ailing and calling upon your name. Lord, you're always faithful to be with your church, Lord God. You've never left us. You've never forsaken us. You've never left them or forsaken them, Lord. But we do, you, you do call us to pray for them. As the book of Hebrews says, to pray for those who are in prison and persecuted. And Lord, we, we commit ourselves to you and we commit ourselves so that we would hear what the Spirit will have to say to us today, Lord. And uh, Lord, we open our hearts to you and our minds and and Lord, our feet, as we leave this place tonight, uh, today, we would have a, an opportunity to put it into practice. Lord, it means nothing, Lord, if we just hear it. But it means absolutely everything, Lord, if we're doers of it. So praise you, Lord, and honor your, your son Jesus through our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you please be seated and grab your Bibles. We're going to turn to God's word in the book of Luke chapter 3. And we got a lot of stuff, so we got to move fast. And uh, otherwise... Um, I'll get the look that I'm hungry, and we have to go, and uh, I'm going to, uh, I, I don't want to, I don't want to keep longer than we need to, but in the book of Luke chapter 3, God's word says, John the Baptist shows up, and the, the, uh, the, 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 the title of the message today is the, Baptist, uh, the Ministry of John the Baptist. His name really wasn't John the Baptist, it literally is John the Baptizer. John the baptizer, he was baptizing, he was immersing people in the water, and so we sometimes we call him John the Baptist, uh, literally it's John the baptizer, let's read with me first six verses of chapter three, it says, in the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, Pontius Pilate became a governor of Judea, Herod being tetrarch of Galilee, his brother Philip, tetrarch of Euteria in the region of Tri Triconitus in Lysanias, was a tetrarch of Abilene. Annas and Caiaphas, uh, the high priesthood was under Caius, uh, Annas and Caiaphas, and the word of God came to John, the son of Zacharias, in the wilderness. And he went into all the region about the Jordan, preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins, as it is written in the book of the words of Isaiah the prophet, saying, The voice of the one crying in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. Every valley shall be filled, every mountain will be brought low, the crooked places shall be made straight, and the rough ways moved, and all flesh shall see the salvation of the Lord. 
If John the Baptist was here, we probably wouldn't like him too much in our pulpit today. Uh, he was a, a man of radical teachings and radical uh, examination of, 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 of the hearts of people. Uh, he was a man that we probably wouldn't, you guys didn't want me to miss on a Sunday and have him fill in for me. He was a man of taught righteousness and truth, and that's not very much welcome in today's uh, message. Uh, John the Baptist was not about compromising in any way what God's word said and what he was called to do. But we know that he shows up, and this is after his parents had died. You know John the Baptist, Zechariah and uh, Elizabeth were his parents. They were elderly when, they, when he was born, and at some point they passed away. He goes into the wilderness, and God prepares him for a time until it was right for his appearing to Israel. Now we see in the first few verses that there's a lot of history involved, and I don't want to um, go to the first slide. If we... Um, if you don't like history and you're bored of history, uh, I would recommend you to, uh, to know history unless you're bound to repeat it. And as uh, the great Dr. Martin Lowe Jones, a great preacher in England, would say, if you don't know church history, you're bound to repeat it, to repeat the mistakes of many times in church history. So this is history. And uh, I don't want you to tune out and check out and say, well, that's, you know, come on, three verses, all about history. Um, there's much to say on this. is because John the Baptist came at a time, at a specific time, when God had pointed, and all the things in history became part of the appointment of God for John to show up and begin preaching a message right before the ministry of Jesus began. So this is right before Jesus' ministry begins, and John the Baptist is preaching, and he's preaching in the Jordan Valley, and the Jordan River, right at the point where he, the Jordan River meets the Dead Sea, and it's a very dry place, a very wilderness place, it's a very arid place, there's lots of uh, uh, wild animals, but this is where John lived. He grew up eating locust and honey and with a, a camel's hair and he had long hair and he was not a, a popular guy, but he lived in the wilderness. But God's word was being taught. God's spirit was with John the Baptist. And it's interesting, John the Baptist, what it said about John the Baptist is pretty interesting. In the book of John chapter 7, it says that John did no miracles. There was no miracles in John the Baptist's ministry, none. Uh, there was no healing, no raising people from the dead, no shutting up the, the, the sky for rain. There was nothing, nothing of that. He did no miracles, but John preached God's word. He was full of God's spirit from the womb. He was a man called by God not to do miracles, although miracles can be nice, but to do one thing, and the important thing is to preach God's word, to make ready a people for the Lord. And that's what John's message was about. He was a cousin of Jesus, about six months apart. But of Jesus, it is said that he, uh, John was the greatest man who ever lived. That's what Jesus said about John. No man born of a woman was greater than John. He was the greatest of the men that lived on the earth. He was the greatest of the prophets. All the prophets preached until John, Jesus said. He was an awesome preacher. But he was a man that Jesus said was the greatest man. So why is this man forgotten so many times? Why is this man so, his message so let aside? We taught a few months ago on Christmas. And one of the messages on Christmas, uh, maybe you won't find it in many places, is don't forget about John the Baptist. And we said that John the Baptist belongs in Christmas. And we're going to make a case for it. And we did. John, and so we got to get our Christmas cards with John the Baptist on it and Elizabeth, and, uh, uh, and Zachariah. So next year, or this coming, this coming Christmas, get your uh, Christmas cards out with John the Baptist. Prepare ye 
way of the Lord. The Lord is coming, right? That's what he preached. And that belongs in Christmas. That's actually the, uh, the Christmas message. But no visible sign of the Holy Spirit working, but he preached a message full of the Holy Spirit. That's the interesting thing about it. We would see it today as, well, where are the miracles? Where are the signs? Where are the wonders? Oh, he's just teaching the word. There must be no spirit there. God sees it differently. God says, if you have the word, if you preach God's word, there's a spirit. And it's up to him whether he's going to do miracles or signs or anything like that that accompany the message of the gospel. But there are six things that we're going to uh, talk about here in the first four verses or first three verses is that he gives us different dates. In the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar. Now, at this point, you can go to the next slide. Tiberius Caesar has taken over as emperor. Now, this is a change. There's been a shift, and this is history, so don't fall asleep. We'll make it very quick and, and to the point. Uh, Caesar Augustus was a Caesar when Jesus was born, but at 14 AD, he passed away, and a new Caesar came on the scene, Tiberius Caesar. Caesar Augustus, uh, aside from being uh, um, a demigod, he wanted to be worshipped as as God, aside from that, which is a big thing, um, he was uh, rather a, a friendly and a very uh, a politically right king or emperor. He was actually very benevolent. And according to Roman history, he did a lot for Rome. He established Pax Romana. He took the pirates out of the, out of the whole scene of the, uh, uh, the fighting. The, the, the ships were being targeted by pirates throughout the Mediterranean Sea. He did a lot for Rome, and he actually taxed and the revenue that came from the taxes helped Pax Romana, the peace of Rome throughout the whole empire, built the roads, established the soldiers all throughout the areas of, of Rome. So there was peace in all of the empire. And that we said when we first studied uh, chapter 1, that that prepared the gospel for being preached. And, and Paul can get on a ship and he can travel without any problems. They can get on the road uh, from anywhere in Rome. And they can remember the whole, the whole saying, all roads lead to Rome. That's where it came from. All roads led to Rome uh, in a physical way, uh, not, not in a spiritual way. Uh, all roads lead um, you know, to God and his judgment. But only one road, road leads to heaven, and that's the Lord Jesus. But all roads lead to Rome. That's what the old saying was. And it was true. All roads that Caesar Augustus made led to Rome, and he made a great impact on Roman history. And he was a benevolent emperor. However, Tiberius wasn't so great. He was actually uh, very evil, and he actually began the rottenness of Rome. If you know the, the history of Rome, Rome was not a, uh, a, a ruled by emperors. For many years, he was not. It was actually a republic by laws and senate and congress, uh, sort of what we had here, a, a template of that, is that it was ruled by laws. But eventually, after Pompey and Julius Caesar, uh, this is the third emperor, the third Caesar, and this Caesar was not very good, and the rottenness of Rome began to, began to happen, the decay morally, socially, militarily, and eventually led to the destruction of Rome from within. Uh, but Tiberius Caesar was now the, the, the emperor, and now, as a bad emperor, uh, Rome began to tremble. Rome began to quake. The empire that was strong as iron actually shows some rather weaknesses. The next name that comes up, is Herod, oh, I'm sorry, Pontius Pilate being governor of Judea. Pontius Pilate being the governor of Judea. Now, what's interesting is, I'm going to read the next few names because this has a lot to do how Pontius Pilate came into power. It says that there was other uh, tetrarchs. There was Herod the Tetrarch of Galilee and his brother Philip the Tetrarch of the region of Euterra. Can we go to the next? Oh, there you are. You guys are too good. 
Pontius Pilate was actually, uh, he was a slave at one point, and he was ushered into power uh, by Rome, and he was a puppet king over Judea and over the areas uh, just north of Judea and Samaria. He was actually a puppet uh, governor, and he is the Pontius Pilate that we see in the later chapters of Luke at the trials of Jesus, where he goes from Annas to Caiaphas, and he goes to Pontius Pilate, and he has the power, he says, to let him free. And then Jesus begins to, you know, the conversation between him and Pilate are amazing about truth and the kingdom of heaven and who has the authority, and no authority can be given to you unless it is given to you by my father. Jesus said, are you a king? And the question was, are you a king? It is as you say, Jesus told Pontius Pilate. But it's interesting how he came to power. On the next slide, we see that they came to power through the Herods. And, and you would be uh, fascinated if you do a history, uh, just a research on the Herods, the Herod family, uh, which has a lot to do with the background of the New Testament. Why would Jesus go to certain places? Why would he go from Caesarea Philippi to another location and travel through Samaria? It's because uh, the Herods had a lot to do with it. There was one original Herod. It was King Herod the Great. He was King Herod the Great. We see it in the earlier chapters of Luke that he is actually a king. He's not a Jew, but he is the king of the Jews, and he's freaked out. When Jesus is born and the wise man shows up because his says, who is born king of the Jews? They say, where is he? And he is completely neurotic and completely insecure. And he began to search for this king so he can kill them. And he actually ordered the killings of all the babies, male babies, two years and under because he was not going to have a, a rival to his throne. It is said of Herod the Great that it was better to be a dog in his house than his family members. Um, that's, it's true, because he would kill you. He would actually, if he saw you as a threat, he would kill you. In fact, one of his sons, he had four sons. One of his sons says, you know what, Dad? I'm not into politics. He knew his dad. And he said, I just want to live in Rome, and I just want to be wealthy, but I have no interest in politics. He kind of liked them, because he didn't want to be part of the, the Herod family. But the other sons did have power. And when Herod died in 6 AD, there was a shift, and that there was no more a king, no longer a king over Israel as over the jews uh there was broken up tetrarchs or quarters of power and they were broken up into his sons and one of the interesting thing is two of his sons are mentioned here this is from history but also the bible herod the tetrarch of galilee herod the tetrarch of galilee he is the herod that we see through the gospels he is the herod that uh, is anti-jesus he is the herod that eventually uh, takes the head up of john the baptist he is the herod called antipas he is the enemy of the cross, enemy of the gospel, and he's looked upon in the New Testament for quite a bit. The other Herod, as mentioned here, is Philip, Philip the Tetrarch, and he ruled in the area, and in the, uh, if you see the map there, on your right-hand side, if you look at it from your right-hand side, that green, that uh, brownish, orange color, that was uh, Philip the Tetrarch's territory. He took over a city called Panias, and he called it Caesarea Philippi. And we know if you study Matthew 16, all of a sudden Jesus enters into, Matthew, uh, into the area of Caesarea Philippi and goes to a place called the Gates of Hell. And when he asks his disciples, who do you say the Son of Man, uh, who do you say that I am? Who do who these people say the Son of Man is? And, and he finally asked him, who do you say that I am? And it was right there in Caesarea Philippi. Uh, Philip the Tetrarch was very nice, was very benevolent, and actually lived in, in a peaceful environment there so people that lived in that area were very much at peace because he was a very good and benevolent uh, a tetrarch or ruler uh, and jesus would go into that area whenever there was peace he wanted to have just get away from it all uh, he would go into that area and so sometimes in the gospels you why would jesus travel that way 
for that reason. You see the political things behind it. You know why Jesus traveled in that way. He wanted to get away from it all. Why? Because uh, the purple side was Philip. Uh, what sorry was Herod the, the Tetrarch, the Antipas, and he was not in any good way. He ruled over the area, uh, as we could see, just right above Samaria into the Jordan Valley, down all the way where you say Jordan today, all the way down to the almost the Dead Sea. And that's where John was preaching. So John was in the territory of Herod Antipas. Now, he had other two sons or two rulers that came from Herod. And they weren't very good. In fact, Rome thought they were losers. And they took them out. Rome took them out and put in place a puppet ruler called Pontius Pilate over Judea and Samaria. Because Rome did not trust that these two men, these other two guys, were actually qualified to run Rome's affair of Judea and Samaria, and they disposed of them. And so what you have left is Pontius Pilate. So over the past few years, since Jesus was born until now, the whole scene has changed. There's no longer a king over Israel. There's no longer a king of the Jews. They're tetrarchs, and they're rightly called tetrarchs because they only held a quarter of the dominion and power that was over Israel. Only a quarter. And so there was no true king. And, and, and you have some areas that were very good, some areas that were terrible, some areas that were horrified by, by the people that lived there because Herod was such an evil man. And then they were going to Pontius Pilate, and, and you see the temple in Jerusalem was in that area, Pontius Pilate. And they were puppets because Rome controlled them, and people didn't know what to do. They were completely mistrusting the government. They didn't know which area to go. And if you lived in one area, you were good. If you lived in another area, you were bad because there was no king. And God was clearing the deck. God was establishing a new work because the king was on his way. There was no true king yet because Jesus was coming. And this is, I see the Lord just working completely in this history. That God was clearing out the deck. Jesus is coming. The true king of the Jews is coming. And remember when they said of Jesus at the crucifixion, when they were about to crucify him, and they said, we have no king but Caesar. You know, they were right. They were rejecting their own king and their Messiah, but they truly had no king. Why? Because of this. They had no more kings. It was Herod uh, who had died. He was the original king of the Jews, I guess you would say, uh, in that, at that time. But his sons did not govern as kings. They governed as tetrarchs, only regional powers. And so they had no king. We told them something else true about, let's go to the next slide, about Caiaphas and Annas. Caiaphas and Annas. It's interesting, in some translations, they have it as a, a, a plural priest. Uh, they were high priests, plural in other translations, it says that there was a priesthood of Annas and Caiaphas. You know, that's actually absolutely true. There was a priesthood of Annas and Caiaphas because they were both, they were trying to make both high priest. There's only one high priest. According to the Bible, there's only one high priest. And the original high priest was Annas. He was the man behind the throne, the man in power. In fact, when Jesus was born, he was the high priest. And you have to serve high priest for the whole entirety of your life. The only way you can be disposed of a high priest is by his death. And then another one will come up, his son. But then the Ro Romans didn't like Annas because he was a man of principle. He was a man that was uh, not good principles in many cases, but he was a man that was hard and principled and he did not compromise with Rome. He was all about himself and Rome didn't like that. And so they took him out and they put his son-in-law, Caiaphas, in power as the high priest that Rome recognized. Okay, so follow the story. Rome recognized Caiaphas, and whenever they want to talk to the high priest, they went to Caiaphas. But the people in the temple did not recognize Caiaphas. They recognized Annas, because he's the original high priest, and he wasn't dead yet. So when they had problems, they went to Annas. And you could see the problem. 
Some people thought it was Caiaphas. Some people thought it was Anna. So who is the high priest? Well, the high priest was coming. Our high priest was coming. Jesus was coming. And king and high priest were, being, were coming to Israel. Behold, the book of Zechariah says, the prophet said, Behold, Israel, Jerusalem, rejoice. Your king is coming humbly riding on a donkey. He was coming. There was no king and there was no true high priest. Why? Because the true high priest and the true king were right on his way. But John had to be the prophet. John had to be the prophet who made straight the way of the Lord. And it's such a fascinating history. We won't take any more time than that um, because God was setting up the whole scene of history so his son can come at a point where there was no king, no true high priest, so that he could become the true priest, our true high priest, and our true king, king of kings and lord of lords. And remember on the cross, they put uh, over the cross of Jesus, Pontius Pilate, that he was called king. He was the king of the Jews. Here it is, king of the Jews. And they asked him, take that down, take that down. And he says, what I've done, I've done. It's written, it's done. That's it. Don't complain, Pharisees. It's done, king of the Jews. And Jesus was both on the cross, right? He was called king of the Jews, but according to the book of Hebrews, he was, he was doing expiation for our sins as our high priest. So on the cross, Jesus was both our high priest and by label of Rome, by label of Pontius Pilate and the, and the provinces of the providence of God, he was called the king. The king's on the cross, making expiation for our sins like a high priest. Yep, he is the priest. He is our high priest and he is our king on the cross. So you want to know where your king is? You want to know where our high priest is? He's coming, but he's going to end up on the cross. And God labels it that way in the, in the gospels. He is both king and priest. Amen? Amen. Don't be shy today. Please. It's so exciting. You should just, it's so amazing that God put it that way. But the priesthood was in, the, in chaotic. It was a chaotic time. It was such an incredibly chaotic time. People didn't know what to do. And at that time where people were, uh, didn't trust the government, didn't trust religious figures, they didn't trust the economy, they didn't trust anything. And I'm not talking 2014. I'm talking about the time of Jesus. A voice cries in the wilderness. God does not see turbulent times and times like, like the one here or the one in our, in our time. doesn't see it as a what do I do now moment. He knows what to do. And I believe in our time where people are exactly the same way as at the time of Jesus here, that there will be John the Baptist who God will raise up. There will be people that will make straight the way of the Lord. Why? Because John the Baptist was preaching the same message we're called to preach. Jesus is coming. The king is coming. You need to make way for him. You need to have your hearts right. You need to make straight and narrow, well, straight and narrow, true, but smooth the way of the Lord. You need to be prepared. He's coming, and you need to be ready. And John the Baptist was in that character, was in that mode, like Elijah in the Old Testament. And no one, no one, no one, no one, except for John the Baptist, had this much impact on Israel. Nobody did. He had such an impact on Israel. He brought Israel to his knees in this chaotic time because the people were ready. The people were wanting truth. The people were needing God. The people needed to hear from God. And 400 years of silence was enough. And God raises up a man and says, that's my word, hear it. But where was it? In the wilderness. Not at the temple. Not in Jerusalem, not where the priest was. Remember, Zechariah was his father. John the Baptist's dad was Zacharias. He was a priest, and so John the Baptist should have been a priest. 
He should have been in the temple. He should have been doing the sacrificial system and leading people. He was not there. Why? It was corrupt. It had gone to Caiaphas and Annas. It had gone into Rome. It had conspired with Rome. Eventually conspired to kill their own Messiah, as, uh, as we see in the Gospels. They betrayed their own people and blocked the way for people to come to know the Lord. So God says, my word is not going to be preached in Jerusalem or in the temple. It's going to be preached in the wilderness. And that would have been a big surprise. What is God doing in the wilderness? In this God-forsaken, terrible environment, wilderness, completely deserted, doesn't rain hardly ever, animals, wild beasts, and there's God's word. In the most unexpected place, God will show up. And that's the beauty of our Lord. In the most unexpected places. What in the world is God's word doing in that place? Well, prepare you the way of the Lord. God was going to do something amazing, and he did it through this man. And so in our day and age, may the Lord raise us up. May the Lord raise up John the Baptist within this fellowship and in our midst, that they will be able to see the chaos in the world and say, hey, this is an opportunity for God to reach you. You want truth? Here's the truth. You want to know the message? Here's the word of God. And it's going to be in the almost unlikeliest places, maybe in Devore, maybe in San Bernardino, maybe in your house. Unlikeliest places. It's not going to be at the World Council of Churches. It's not going to be there. It's going to be in the hearts and mouth of God's people. That's where it's going to be. And so may the Lord raise you up. May the Lord raise us up to be like John the Baptist. Prepare you the way of the Lord. Same message. Jesus is coming. Amen? Amen. We need to tell people about that. Make straight the way of the Lord. Make the way smooth. And there's lots of rough places in people's hearts today. But the message is going to make it right. The second thing we want to look at is his mission. John's mission. There it is. On the bottom is the Jordan River, flows down into the Dead Sea, dirty, a dirty river. In fact, it's the lowest point on, the, on earth. It's below sea level. Sea level is the lowest place on the face of the earth, the lowest place in terms of sea level. A dirty river flows right into the Dead Sea, and I can tell you all the, the stuff that happens in the Dead Sea, all the minerals, all the, all the putrid stuff that flows right in. There's no outflow as everything goes in. And there's nothing living in there. However, we know the Dead Sea will come up again. In the, book of, uh, in the Old Testament, I believe it's the book of Zechariah or the book of Isaiah. The Dead Sea will live again. Because Jesus, when Jesus comes, he'll make it right. But at this point, the Dead Sea is dead and the Jordan River flows right into it. And this is the area where John was preaching. And the wilderness on the, on the, on the top picture was the, the, the place where he lived. And the people came out to see John the Baptist. Now, on the western side of the Jordan River, it's lush, it's beautiful. People take vacations there. Beautiful area of Jordan. On the eastern side, nothing happens. It is a wilderness. And so John was preaching in the eastern side. That's where he lived. And they went to see John. And people went to see John. And the word of God came to John, the son of Zechariah, in the wilderness. And all the region around Jordan, uh, he went around into the region of Jordan preaching a baptism of repentance. A baptism of repentance. His mission was to preach a message that was unlike any other message that they had heard up to that point. His message was absolutely captivating to, God's, to the people that were there in Israel. He might have started just preaching to the air, to the wilderness. Remember, there's nobody there. He's just preaching, prepare the way of the Lord, make smooth, make all the mountains bow down, make the, fill the potholes, make smooth his coming. Nobody was hurt, nobody was there, maybe the goats were there, maybe some sheep, maybe some shepherd boys were there, and they heard it. 
And they went to get other shepherd boys. And other shepherds came to see him. And it spread and it spread and it spread until the whole region, thousands, came to hear John the Baptist. It's an amazing thing, an amazing change. Why? Because people were looking for truth. They were looking for the message of God. And and John had the word of God. John had the spirit of God. And John began to say that you need to repent. Preaching a baptism of repentance. We're going to have a baptism next week. And hallelujah for that. Praise God for that. And the baptism of John was an amazing baptism because it was the baptism of repentance. Now, let's look at this really quick. It says, a baptism of repentance for the remission of sins. Let's begin with sin because that's the origin of the problem. His message began with people's sins. That's the problem. And he didn't begin with their feelings, with their emotions. He didn't begin with their void or their, or their lack of self-esteem or their hopes. He went right at the root of the problem. Their sins, individual sins, not the sin of the whole world, but the sins of the people that were there to hear it. And that's what John the Baptist's message is, dealing with your sins. And that is something that you, nobody wants to deal with, but that's the message God wants us to know. You have to deal with your sins. You can't justify them. You can't let it go. You can't sweep it under the rug. You can't. It has to be dealt with. God's message is to be dealt with sin. And it's a sensitive subject today. For many of us, and maybe for many in the church today, that they don't want to deal with it. The, pl- the sin that plagues us, but we're not concerned with that. We're rather concerned with anything else but our sins. I remember a prayer meeting where uh, a man would pray, and, and he would say, Lord, just deal with my, deal with my cobwebs, which is his, his uh, acronym for, or not acronym, but his synonym for uh, his sins. He didn't want to name them what they were. We were just in a prayer meeting. Deal with my cobwebs, Lord. Deal with my cobwebs. And, and we didn't know what it was, and we, nobody wanted to ask how many cobwebs or how many spiders or whatever the case may be until somebody said, Lord, just kill the spider. <laughs> just kill the spider in this man's life. And you know what? That is the sin that so easily entails us. The book of Hebrews tells us uh, there's a sin that follows us. If we don't deal with it, it will continue to grow and feed on us and feed on our carnality, and feed on our lives because we don't deal with that. And we just say, oh, it's spider webs. There are others cobwebs. How about the spider? Let's get rid of the spider. What is it that is causing those sins? Is it the lust of the flesh, the lust of men, the lust of things, the lust of money? What is it that's causing those sins? And then deal with it at the cross. Deal with it at the, with, with Jesus. That's where it's dealt with. And that's what John the Baptist was preaching. And so... The next thing is the forgiveness of sins. He's talking about forgiveness. And the beautiful thing about the, the Bible is it's the only, only, only book in the world that offers the forgiveness of sin, true forgiveness of sin. No one else can offer this to you. You can search from any religion, from Islam to Hinduism to anything you want to ever get to. No one offers forgiveness of sin the way the Bible puts it, the way the Bible offers it that your sins can be blotted out, forgiven, done away with, completely done, eradicated, wiped out, however you want to put it, the Bible uses it. He even tells us it'll be like in the depths of the ocean, as far as the east is from the west. He's dealt with our sins. The Bible offers that forgiveness of sins. And that's what John the Baptist was offering, but it had to be through repentance. Look at that. So we're going backwards from sin to forgiveness to repentance. Repentance, to turn away, metanoia in the Greek, metanoia, a beautiful term. It doesn't just mean change your mind. It means change your mind and have a different direction toward life. 
There had to be a change of mind, but it had to be a change of direction. It was also a nautical term. It was a, 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 a term that was used by the, uh, by the voyages, by, by the people that lived in the sea. There was uh, the captain, and they would have a guy on the, on the mast, and they were being the, uh, looking out for the land, and he would say, metanoia, repent, because we're, we're going to crash into these rocks that are ahead of us, and we need to turn this ship the other way, otherwise we're doomed. And that was the word for metanoia, change your direction. Not just a change of mind, but a change of direction that follows with the change of mind. God changes people from the inside out. Amen? God changes people from the inside out. There is a change that happens in people's lives that is not just feeling sorry. It's feeling sorry enough to change. That is the key to repentance. And the Hebrews have it is exactly right. Teshuvah in, in Old Testament. To turn to the Lord. And you can't have repentance unless you turn to God. You can't just be sorry for your sins. You can't just say, I'm going to stop womanizing. I'm going to stop smoking. I'm going to stop doing this. I'm, it's, it's, it's not enough. It's turn to God. Teshuvah, turn to God. If you just stop sinning, it's not enough. You have to turn to God to be a full repentance. Otherwise, you'll find yourself right back in it again and time again. A full repentance, a 180 of your mind. And God will change the way you think the way you view life, the way you look at things, the way you act, your behavior will change based on repentance. And that's what John was preaching. But he had a baptism. It says that he was baptizing. He was preaching a baptism. Now, the Jews had a baptism. It was a purification rite. It was actually a time where they would actually go in and they would uh, purify themselves before they went into the temple to glorify God and worship God. But this is not the baptism that John was doing. It was actually very, very unique. Uh, they had a baptism for the proselytes, meaning that if you were a Gentile and you want to become a Jew, you would go through a baptismal ritual. And it's sort of what, what John is doing. He's calling Israel back to repentance through baptism, a change of direction, that you stop sinning, you stop going away from God and return to God. That's what the message of John the Baptist was. And he was going to do it through baptism. It was a new thing because no one has ever took, took the immersion that was done in the Old Testament and put it into the form of repentance unto the forgiveness of sin. God wanted to forgive their sins, but they had to be a change. They had to be a radical transformation of the heart that needed to happen by beginning to change in your mind. And so whatever they were doing that was evil and wrong in the sight of God needed to change. And the, the way they demonstrated that is by going into the water and saying, I want to change. I want to live for God. I want to follow the words of the scriptures. I want to listen to John and I'm going to change my life and I'm going to demonstrate it to all. There's an inward change by going into the water. And that was the baptism of John onto repentance. And this is an amazing thing because it's an expression of something that has changed. And the early church understood this very, very well. The early church and even some parts of a persecuted church today know that repentance and baptism and salvation are integrated and related together. Not the baptism saves, but is the appealing of a good conscience toward God. is the appeal to God for a good conscience. God, Lord, I'm saved. I want to follow you. Lord, help me change. I'm going to go into the water and, and have a different life. I want to have the newness of life and the newness of the Spirit in my life. And they don't separate it from the aspect of salvation. Not that it saves you, but it's, it's, it's part of our obedience and part of our commitment to God. And they don't separate the two and they, they're baptized right away. They're actually not a whole lag of time. 
uh, we in the West, we see it a little bit different, don't we? We, we uh, may be a little more relaxed on the baptism aspect of it, I think, than we should. And we let things go for quite a number of years without ever dealing with our need for baptism, our need for being committed to the Lord and making an outward sign of an inward change that has happened to us. And so we leave it for many times. And that's no fault of many people. Many people have come to me and say, I've been saved for 15 years, never been baptized. How did that happen? Well, you know, at our church, we never really talked about it. We just said, you know, accept Jesus and that's it. I follow Jesus, but I never really seen baptism done. I never really see it in such a way that it was demonstrated in the Bible. And John the Baptist was about the baptism. He was the baptizer. And by God's grace, we're going to have some baptisms next week. As a shame, that's right, as a sign of direction that's changed. But he was by the Jordan River, it says. The biggest river in Israel, but the dirtiest. There were plenty of good waters in Jerusalem. The Pool of Siloam, the Pool of Bethesda, plenty of good waters. Why did God put him there? And this is really interesting. It's the lowest point of the earth. It's the dirtiest river on, the, uh, on, that, uh, on that plain uh, below sea level. And the Jordan, I said, drains right into the Dead Sea. It's a dirty, dirty river. Even in the book of Kings, we're told that uh, the, the, the uh, Assyrian general did not even want to go into the Jordan River after he was, uh, uh, Elisha told him, go, bap- go, not baptize, go immerse yourself in the water to take your leprosy away. And he goes and he says, why should I go to this dirty Jordan River. There's rivers in Assyria that are much better than this river. And he goes and he's healed. It's a beautiful thing. But we know that it was a dirty, dirty river. Why would God choose that place? And I thought about it for many times. Being the lowest point of the earth, it could have been that Jesus, being the son of God, being the son of man, wanted to go to the lowest, to the dirtiest place on earth, you would say. He stooped down low to the place where we were at, the low, the sinful, the dirty. That's where he was. That's where Jesus was found, being baptized later on next chapter. I mean, next, uh, next week we'll see the baptism of Jesus. But the Bible actually says something really interesting about John the Baptist and his baptism, that it was in the Jordan. It was in the Jordan River, in the Jordan Valley. It was the point where God led Israel into the promised land. This is why it's done in the Jordan River. This is why it was here that John is called. Why? Because it's the place where Israel entered with Joshua. At the point of entrance was the Jordan River. Remember the river with Joshua? They go through the water just like they did the Red Sea. And they go into this place, the promised land. After 40 years in the wilderness, seeing God work miracles and in great things that he did, they finally get there. The second generation did. The first generation died in unbelief. They didn't enter in. Joshua and Caleb leads them in. And it's that place where Joshua says, we got to make a covenant right here. We, okay, everybody huddle up. Ready? We're going to go right here. We're going to huddle up and we're going to be committed to God. We're going to set up a monument after we cross and they put the monument inside the Jordan River and outside the Jordan River so we would never forget that God led us into this place for the promised land. But soon after that, you have the period of the judges, the kings, good periods, bad periods, exile, different sins, different idolatry, different problems, and this is the place where God calls them back. You see why this is important. Why the Jordan River? God was calling them back to repentance. You come back to where we first started. You entered here, we're coming back here. Going back to square one. And that's the, pro- that, that's the, 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 the recipe in the Bible. The problem of our sins. God brings us back to the beginning. Jesus said to the church, 
Come back and do your first works. You lost your first, you left your first love. You come back and do the first works. You come back to the place where you met me. You come back to the place where you saw me as God and glorified me and worshiped me and followed me and committed your life to me. Now that it's gone, now that you've fallen away, now that it's, 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 it's no longer a technicolor, beautiful picture of me, God says, now it's a faded picture. We can't make anything out of it. You come back to that place where you said yes to me. You come back to that place where you acknowledge me as your Savior. You come back to me to the place where you said, yes, Lord, I will follow you. Maybe we reneged on that. Maybe we have reneged on that commitment. And God is calling us back to the place of repentance. That's what Israel was going through. John was calling them back. Why the Jordan? Because that's where it began. Israel, you're so far from me, but God keeps calling them back, calling them back, loving them, calling them back. Where? Not Jerusalem, not any of those places the Jordan, and it would have been a big thing to them because, oh boy, I could read Joshua, they would say, this is the place, this is where we entered in, oh, how badly have we fallen, oh, how far from God we are, but wait, there's a voice crying in the wilderness, God is calling us back, it's not over yet, God is wanting us back, he desires us back, and isn't that the beautiful thing about the Lord? That in our sins and in our disobedience and in our apathy and our running away from him, he calls us back, calls us back, calls us back, and he wants us back. He wants us back. I wouldn't want me back after what I've done to the Lord in my, in my life, but he wants me back. And it's a beautiful thing. But one more point and we're done. Um, boy, time went by really fast today. Is that, is that right? Or, yeah, it is. Did I just start? Not really, but it felt like it. <laughs> his commission, his commission. Where did it come from? Look what it says here in verse 3, uh, verse 4. As it is written in the book of the words of Isaiah the prophet, his commission did not come from man, it came from God. And it was 900 years before in the book of Isaiah, chapter 40, a voice crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. Every valley will be filled, every mountain will be brought low, and the crooked places will be made straight, and the rough way smooth, and all flesh shall see the salvation of the Lord. Amazing book of Isaiah, the mini Bible we call it. Why the mini Bible? Oh yeah, the mini Bible. 66 books, 66 chapters, 39 chapters of Isaiah deal, the first 39 chapters of Isaiah deal with judgment, deal with sin, deal with the issues of Israel. The last 27 chapters, 27 books of the New Testament, 27 chapters uh, in Isaiah that deal with salvation, the Messiah coming. But where does it start? Chapter 40 says, a voice crying in the wilderness. Chapter 40 begins with the prophecy about John the Baptist. The gospel begins with the prophecy, not the prophecy being fulfilled, but with the message of John the Baptist, with the message of John the Baptist. And it ends in chapter 66, Isaiah 66, with the new heavens and a new earth. Just like the book of Revelation says, there'll be a new heaven and a new earth. The mini Bible, it's like God just compressed his message in one book, 66 chapters, a beautiful thing. And chapter 40 begins with this prophecy about John the Baptist, make straight, make the road straight, prepare the way of the Lord. A highway in the desert was made, and a highway in the desert for the king to come in that wilderness. Nothing different than our hearts, isn't it? There's so many crooked places in our hearts and in man's hearts 
that has to be prepared to receive the Lord. There's rough places that have been filled with barriers, holes, potholes, doubts, inconsistencies, things that we don't even want to deal with. There's things, the suspicions and doubts and fears in the, in the heart of men that keep the gospel from going in. And John says, I'm going to be prepared the way of the Lord. I'm going to make it smooth. May the hearts of men, may our hearts have a smooth way for the message of Jesus. Why is that so important? And I say this as we finish. You can't have Jesus until you have the message of John the Baptist. You can't. And, and very clear, very truthfully, you, if you ignore the message of John the Baptist, you will ignore the gospel. This is true. Turn to me to Mark chapter 1, verse 1. I want to show you something very interesting. Where does the gospel begin? Where does the gospel begin? The gospel begins not at Bethlehem, not in the synagogue in Luke chapter 4, where Jesus begins to preach. The gospel begins, as it says in Mark 1, 1, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, as it is written in Isaiah the prophet. Look, I am sending my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way, a voice crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. John came baptizing. That's the beginning of the gospel. The beginning of the gospel of Jesus starts with John. You divorce John from the message of the gospel, you have no gospel. But pastor, I thought it was all about Jesus. Yes, it is. It is all about Jesus. But he had a forerunner. He had somebody that went ahead and made the hearts of man ready to receive the message of Jesus. In Mark chapter 11, we're told that the Pharisees came to Jesus and they said, by what authority are you doing this? And Jesus says, you know what? Let me ask you a question. Uh, the baptism of John, was it of man or was it of heaven? Was it from men or was it from God? And they huddled up really quick because that's a good question. And they said, well, the Pharisees huddled up among themselves and they said, okay, on the count of three, we've got to tell them something. If we say that it was from man, hmm, then the people would be mad because they knew John was a prophet. Yeah, we can't tell them that. If we say it was from God, we, he would say to us, then why didn't you listen? Because that was a prophet of God. And they were stuck. And they came to Jesus and says, we don't know. And Jesus said, fine. Then I won't tell you either by what authority I'm doing this. Was Jesus playing a game with them? Was he being a rabbi? You know, ask a question, get another question. Get a, no, he was not playing. Jesus did not resort to that kind of thinking that you see today. What Jesus was saying is exactly what we've been saying today. If you don't know the message of John, you can receive mine. If you cannot understand John the Baptist and where it came from and his message of true repentance, bringing fruit worthy of repentance, don't just say you're a Christian have fruit worthy of repentance. What is it that makes you a Christian? Is it just by words? It's by words? Yes. By faith? Yes. But that faith, if it's faith alone, it's not alone. That faith comes with fruit, the fruit of the Spirit. And next week, we're going to read that about John the Baptist. He gives some wonderful, practical message about what repentance should look like. Bring fruit worthy of repentance. Bring fruit worthy of repentance. 
if you have no fruit worthy of repentance, no fruit that ever changed, there was no, there was no evidence of the change of life, then we have to really question whether or not you understood the message of John and you understood the message of Jesus. You can't accept Jesus until you accept the message of John. It's such a critical thing in our, in, in, in our understanding of the gospel. You divorce it, you divorce it completely. This is the big problem in our lives today because we have missed the repentance and, and bringing fruit worthy of repentance, which John talks about, and we just isolated it to, well, Jesus says just, you know, we have to love him. Yes, we have to love him, but did you miss the first part? That you have to repent, that you have to come to the Lord with, that, with an open heart and a road made smooth, made straight. Bring all those hills down. Bring all those potholes filled. Change, turn to the Lord and from your sins and accept Jesus. Because if that road is smooth, you have no problem accepting him. If that road is crooked, if that path is crooked, then it's not going to be made straight for the re- to receiving the Lord or his word or his message. And so the message today, church, as we finish and we close and we talk about the other parts of John the Baptist's messages, the part that it's the critical part. Can we accept the message of John the Baptist today? Will he be accepted today in our hearts and in our church? I'm not asking to see if we could invite him for preaching a message. But he, wasn't, he got in trouble. He wasn't very popular with some of the people. And he got in trouble with Herod because he talked about his marriage. He talked about the sinful marriage that he was in. But are we prepared today to receive the message of John as well as the message of Jesus. That's the critical part. Our hearts need to be straight and right with God in order to receive the grace of Jesus. Yes, the message of Jesus is grace and truth brought to us through his blood, through the cross, but the heart had to be prepared. The heart had to have a complete change to receive the message of the Lord. The gospel begins with John, and you have to deal with John In any missionary work, in any gospel preaching, we have to deal with John and believe and accept the message of John so the message of Jesus can be preached and can be accepted. If you can't understand that somebody's in sin and needs to repent, they won't understand that Jesus died for them. They won't understand the need why Jesus died for them. You come up to somebody and say, hey man, Jesus can forgive your sin. Jesus can change your life. Jesus loves you. Well, what sin? And what have I done? And why, I mean, yeah, he loves me great, but thanks. What, what was the need of that? Because they've never been told that they're in a serious state with God, that their sins will bring judgment into their lives, that sin is upon their heads, and they will one day reap those consequences of sins in eternity, and they will stand before God on their own righteousness, not in the righteousness of Jesus. See, God's not going to ask us, Where did you go to church? What area of the world did you live in? What race were you from? Were you Jewish? Were you Gentile? Were you American? Were you French? Were you from Latin America? Whatever it is, he's not going to ask us that. He's going to say, where is the righteousness that I'm looking for? Where is the righteousness of Jesus? If it's you're standing with your own righteousness, wrong answer. And there's an eternal consequence. And and John's going to talk about it's going to be the axe at the root of the tree. Every tree that doesn't bring fruit will be taken down and thrown into the fire. Strong message, I know, but that's the beginning of the gospel. And there's a need for us to really look and have a change of 
attitude toward the gospel and say, what is the gospel that I have believed? What is the gospel that I know? What is the gospel that I heard? Is it the baptism of John, beginning with the baptism of John, that brings a man to repentance before accepting Jesus? Is that the one that I have? Or is that the one that I need today? Is that the one that's on your lips today to be going to a world that's dying without the Lord Jesus? But they need to hear, they need to know that John came first and they need a repentance so the heart can have a smooth way in for the message of Jesus. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your grace. So much we can learn from this man. Oh, what a message he preached. And Lord, he was followed and he, was, he brought Israel to his knees. Such an incredible man. No man born of a woman is greater than John. Truly so. And he's the, he's the last prophet. He's the one that brings it all together to usher in the coming of Jesus. Lord, teach us how. Teach us how, Lord. Bring the gospel to people. To our own families first and then to those outside. Lord, there's a need even within the church to preach the gospel now because so many have never heard of repentance and sin and remission of sin. So many have not ever even heard of John the Baptist as being part of the gospel. Lord, teach us, mold us, transform us. May our hearts, Lord, be made smooth by the message of the Bible, by the message of John, may it be a message that brought all those hills low and every valley straight and every valley filled so we will see the salvation of the Lord. Thank you, Lord, for this message. Thank you, Lord, for the goodness that you bring to us that we can hear and still make a change in our own lives, still have an opportunity to change and turn from our sins. We receive the Lord Jesus because our hearts are made right by this message. And so I pray for those who are here, those who listen online, those who listen even by the video, that if they've never even began to understand the John's, John's message, they've never heard of John's message in this way, that it was part of the gospel, and they have never turned from sin and to accept the Lord Jesus, they would do that today that they will bring fruit worthy of repentance, that there will be a change in attitude and hearts and mind, that they will leave, Lord, the drinking, the drugs, the partying, the girls, the womanizing, the lust, they would put that away in exchange for the righteousness of Jesus given to us by faith. Lord, because it starts there, bring fruit worthy of repentance. Then we're ready to accept the message. Then we're ready to have our hearts smoothed out by the grace and love of Jesus Christ. And Lord, thank you that you bring not only the Holy Spirit into our lives, but you bring fire. So it says in Luke, baptism of fire and the Holy Spirit to take the dross away, to bring purity, to bring holiness into our daily living. Lord, we receive the message of John, but Lord, we receive also the gospel of Jesus, the message of Jesus, that he would give us his spirit and he would bring purity and holiness in our lives. In our Savior's name, the Lord Jesus, we pray. Amen.